We started a series looking at uh, three metaphors that are in uh, 2 Timothy chapter 2. Jemima, would you hand these out? And uh, just, Jemima's just going to hand out notes for this week. And um, there's three, three metaphors, the athlete, the farmer, and the soldier. The soldier actually comes first in that uh, chapter, but we're waiting for a soldier to come back for next week so we can interview. Yep, so, you know, that's what soldiers do. They go away and come in. And then we've got Bob as well next week. He's going to be uh, part of our team. And so these guys here are farmers, or were farmers. Um, so Daniel used to be a farmer. I'll let him, let him tell you. What, what did you used to do, Daniel? Yeah, so, yeah, I was born on a um, mainly broadacre cropping farm and also, yeah, used to run, or still do, run merino sheep as well. So that's what I was mainly involved in, in the farming scene. Yep. And Joe and Linda, you guys farm together. you got a different type of farm, so... Tell yeah, us about it. Um, yeah, I guess we farm crocodiles. It's not farm. You, you guess you do. <laughs> <It's> <laughs> I think that's what they it's are. It's quite complex farming because it's, you're not really putting anything in the ground except pens. But um, yeah. 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 All right. I might just ask Linda. Um, with the farming that you do now, it's not cropping, but are there seasons in the type of farming that you do? Yes, there, there are seasons. There's seasons to collect and there's seasons to grow and there's seasons to sell and there's seasons to wait for income. <laughs> um, <laughs> they're tough seasons sometimes. <laughs> and, um, yeah. So would there be one season that's more of a downtime for you guys? In what way? As in there's not as much to do as normal. Not really. Not, um, not in our farming, but maybe in Daniel's cropping farming. Yep. All right. Daniel, would you like to talk about the seasons of cropping? Yeah, I suppose um, for cropping, there's, there's probably, yeah, there are times of the year where it seems a bit, yeah, when the growing period... Well, I'll start from the beginning. Yeah, you, you have your summers, and that's probably generally when the paddocks are all clear. There's there's nothing there. You got to sort of just maintain the weeds and and get prepared, ready for the for the sowing season. So you're still you're working through that time in in making sure that the paddocks stay clean of of weeds and and different things. And then yeah, you go into the autumn, and that's generally when you start your sowing for for a winter crop. And, yeah, so you plant the seed then. And that's, yeah, quite a critical time. You've got to get your timing right and get the seed in the ground when, yeah, when the rains come or, yeah, sometimes the rains don't come and you just, you sow in hope of rain, I suppose. Um, and then, so, yeah, you, you, you take that risk, I suppose, and, and you go ahead and, and you do it. And then, yeah, through the winter is, yeah, the growing time and that's when, yeah, your seed grows and and then, yeah, there's still maintain maintenance in that time as well to, to stop other different weeds and bugs to be getting into the, the seed and you've got to be keeping on top of all that and and looking after your crop and then, 
yeah, the spring times when it sort of all goes to, to head, the actual seeds inside the seed start producing and, and grow the the lot more seed that you reap at the at the harvest and so that time is again you're just maintaining the crop and make at different times of the years yeah, it starts getting hotter in the spring and different funguses and and whatnot start to come in and and you got to keep on top of them so you don't lose your crop and then yeah once the back to summer product or round about now everyone's starting to harvest um, down down in New South Wales where I'm from um, so now's the time to be reaping the the year's work and yeah they've got a that I suppose that's probably the most busiest time um, for the season it's yeah time critical to once it's ready you want to get it off and into storage and and protected from the elements because yeah you still do you get hail this time of year you get wet weather that just downgrades your seed and and yeah lots of things that that contribute to that so yeah you want to get it off and when it's ready and when you can get it off as quick as you can mm. pretty well fantastic so um is there a most important season uh they're all i think they're all important um probably once you get through that those first few autumn winter and and spring, then yeah, you want to get it off, and that's where you you're relying on the income for the next season to come. So that's yeah, pretty critical time to to be getting it off, and and hopefully getting the best quality grain you can get. But yeah, that all doesn't always happen. Yeah, yeah. Just going to ask Joe, what um, obviously you're farming something quite different to grain, yeah. but what's the process for you guys in from the start? to when the actual crop comes, when they, whatever they do to crocodiles at that age. <laughs> Presumably egg. Well, well, the biggest, the most important thing probably is the egg. So without the egg, you don't get the crocodile. So, um, so you have to time the seasons right or the weather right to harvest at the right time so it's economical. And so we... Basically, we collect as many eggs as we can. We don't try not to leave any behind. Um, and because um, you have to reach a certain number, which is in the thousands, to make it economical. And and then some crocodiles we sell in within one year. And and the next hard part is making the little babies eat, and that takes a lot of husbandry and and diet. So. And because we're a small operation relatively to others, we have to make every every baby count really. So, so that's the yeah, a lot of diligence and so we sometimes we'd even you know we put the meat out in little tiny bits so it looks like insects and all sorts of things. So <laughs> they seem to be scared of everything when they're first born. So and anyway, yeah, and then within a year we'll sell. Um, live ones and then within two years we sell so we keep another batch for two years and sell them at two years and now we're doing skins which are three to four years so it's a continual process and we're trying to grow all the time because I believe that if we don't keep growing we'll or persevering with it we'll um, fall right behind and 
lose effectiveness. So. Yep. And Linda, I just want you to explain to us, if you can, what percentage is just plain old hard work and what percentage would be skill in what you do? Skill? Yeah. Well, I think a lot of it is actually plain hard work, that skilled hard work. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah. um, you know, you've got to know, you've got to, you've got to know animals, you've got to know, you know, concentrations of how many you can put together. You've got to give them the correct diet. It's very diligent work. You can't just sort of give them any old thing. You've got to be, um, you know, with their feed, you have to mix supplements and calcium and they've got to have the right temperature because they're only babies. And so... Um, there's a lot of hard work, and but I think our farm we've got the, the the lowest death rate out of all the farms, and I think that's because we're there all the time. We're always watching over. You got to see something before it happens so you can correct it. You don't just wait till it's all gone to pieces and then, you know, because then you've lost out. You're going to lose a lot of animals, so you've got to be constantly vigil and working towards keeping all the animals safe and so it's something that you yeah hmm. Is that excellent yeah that's good all right uh, any other comments you'd like to make before we release you <laughs> that's about it oh well, thanks guys how about you give them a hand eh some hard-working farmers. There are other people here. I know there's a, a daughter of a dairy farmer. My dad used to dairy farm. There's uh, Luke from Zimbabwe that used to farm over there. So there's a few people with a bit of an idea of what a farmer might have to do. Um, and today, I just wanted to go through probably some of the characteristics and why is it important when we think about this sort of lifestyle in terms of our Christian walk. So with the athlete, we talked a lot about the training, um, the hard work, the eye on the prize, this is what we're going for. And as Christians, to make sure that we keep all those things in mind as we're living our Christian life, that this is a race. That we've got certain rules that we want to keep if we want to be effective in ministry, and that's what it was about. We were talking about how um, our character needs to be developed in certain ways, the things that we need to do so that we can be effective in Christian ministry. So in Second uh, Timothy 2, it says the athlete has to abide by the rules. So we talked about how it's not about the um, actual law thing, you know, grace versus law, well, to be saved, it was obviously all Jesus' work. But we don't want to be disqualified from ministry, do we? We want to make sure that if God wants to use us, that we are people that are ready to be used by God. And I talked about that verse that um, about many being called but few are chosen. Why is that? And it's not really up to God to just sort of say, oh, you know, I'm choosing you randomly. But God looks down and it says in the Bible that we're meant to make ourselves clean vessels ready for the Master's use. So there's a calling on actually pretty much every Christian's life. For every Christian's life, there is a calling. But are you ready? 
Are you ready to be used? Are you making sure that you are able to be used by God in your life? And so we looked at those rules. Um, if you want to hear about that, you can go onto the website and download last week's message and the notes if you want to. So we're looking at the farmer. And in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 6, it says this, The hard-working farmer should be first to enjoy the fruit of their labour. Now, that's not too much about farming right there, but it's the start of the analogy. Firstly, that the hard-working farmer should be able to eat the fruit of their labour. What does that mean in terms of our Christian walk? That means that if we decide that we are going to be farmers, we're going to look after the Word of God, we are the first ones that get a fruit out of that, and we'll be looking at, at that a little bit later. If you decide that you are going to start sowing the Word of God into other people which is what Paul was talking to Timothy about, it means that, first of all, the Word of God has to come alive in you, doesn't it? So what it's really saying is that as you begin to study and prepare yourself, you will find that there's a harvest begins to come in your life. You become the first person to actually partake of the harvest, the different things that God has for you in your life. And there's a few different types of harvest that we're going to talk about. One is the harvest of love. Did you know that nothing, and we've talked about it before because we've done series on the farmer and sowing seeds and all that sort of stuff before, but really it's a vital principle. Jesus said, hey, if you can understand this principle, the principle of the seed, you're going to unlock everything in the kingdom of God. That's how important it is. And so we're going to go back over some of that stuff today. We're going to look at some things that are different. But the harvest begins in us. That's the beauty of it. Those of us who have received Christ and decide we're going to follow after him, we're the ones who get to first taste the fruit. Um, and there's just something special about that fruit, isn't there? I don't know about you guys, but uh, my dad's got some trees that have been growing for years and years, you know, and so some of them would maybe fruit after one year, some after two, some after three, four, five, whatever it might be. But the expectation of what you're going to taste is so high. <laughs> Hopefully it's going to be a good fruit. But as you are expecting things in your life, there's something so special about getting that first fruit, isn't it? It's like if you see the first mangoes that are um, auctioned off at the beginning of the year. Now, I understand they're not the first fruit off the tree usually for that, but it's like the first box, we're going to auction it off, and they can auction a box of mangoes for thousands of dollars, tens of thousands of dollars, because this is the first fruit, it's special, it's something precious and we want it. And when you've got your own fruit trees, it is so exciting, even in a veggie garden, which might produce um, fruit after a very short time, you're looking, you're watching that fruit grow and you take it and you eat it. It is the sweetest fruit that you've ever tasted. Why? Because in that is the life that you have put into it, the sowing, the caring, the tilling of the soil, the, the getting out of the weeds, the, the removing the rubbish, the, the watering, and, and in the end, you get something that you can eat that has grown. And this is one of the most amazing things about God. If you decide that you are going to live for Him, that you are going to be a person who decides that I'm going to um, make my life about how I can impact others with the kingdom of God, with the Word of God, with the message of hope, with the message of love, with the message of truth, the beautiful thing is that you become the first one to eat of that fruit. 
but there are some things that will either deny you having a good fruit or will help you to have amazing fruit. So this is the harvest that will come. The harvest first is love. That's the first harvest we get, and it's seed sown in righteousness. So as we begin to look after our life and live righteously and act like God wants us to act, there's a harvest of love comes back to us. The harvest is holiness. As the Word of God begins to work in our life, we become holy. Why? Not because we decide to, but because there's a seed going into us that is the incorruptible Word of God that begins to live and abide in us and it begins to grow. We plant it in there, but God is watering it and growing it. And out of that, our lives should become holy. If your life is not becoming more holy, now that doesn't mean you're, you're sitting um, on a mountaintop and you're waiting for people to come and trek up to you to find out your wisdom and you're isolating yourself from the world and, and you know, you, you, you've blanked your mind out from any thoughts, that's not holiness. Holiness is the presence of God growing inside of you. Don't you know that you are the temple of the Holy Spirit? The Bible says. You are a place where God lives and abides. And what is the adjective? The Holy Spirit. As he grows in your life, as you cultivate that experience of knowing God, you become holy, not because of what you do, as in your actions, but your actions become holy because the Word of God begins to transform who you are and change you from who you are to who He is because there is that connection, spirit to spirit, as we've been talking about. That's the second crop. The last one, the harvest is souls, and we cannot overlook that. Why on earth are we here? There's reasons that we've looked at before. Yes, because God wants us to be loved, the first reason. He wants us to become part of his family. He wants us to belong. He wants us to praise. And he wants us to share the good news with others around us. There must be a harvest of souls. It is so important. You think about it. Why... As Kathleen started to point out today, why is it that we look so shallowly on our Christian walk sometimes? I'm not an evangelist. I'm not one who can share the good news of Christ with others. Yes, you are. You might not be called to be one who proclaims boldly the word of God, but your life has to be questionable. You need to live a very questionable life. Now, I don't mean shady, but I mean your life has to be something that people are worth People think it's worth asking you the question. The Bible says about us as Christians that we should be ready to explain the hope that is in us. That we should be instant, in season and out of season. So whether you're feeling good or whether you're feeling bad, the word of God as it's planted in your soul comes alive and it comes out naturally. Now, in saying this, as we look at this farming if you are not putting the Word of God into your life in a generous way, you will not be giving it out in a generous way. Because as you plant, so you reap. As you sow, you reap. And not only that, the more seed you sow, the more you reap. The more you seek after God, the more you can spread the good news. The more you connect with God, the more you can connect God with other people. And it's not even hard. It becomes so easy because that word comes alive in you. So that's the other harvest that we need to think about, the harvest of souls. Because let's face it, 
as Kathleen said, if you went home tomorrow, how would you look back on your life? Have I lived my life for him? I mean, there's a song that used to be in the revival in Belfast ones, and it says, when it's all been said and done, you know, have I lived my life for you? Have I lived my life for truth? Have I given my life over to what you've asked me to give it to? Have I become a selfish person? And, and, you know, that's the verse when I was talking last week that I said impacted me. If you want to be my follower, you have to give up your selfish ways. Pick up your cross and follow me. And as I said, the thing that hits us so hard and it hits me hard is I have to give up my selfish ways. I have to understand that this life does not belong to me. It belongs to him. It is his life. And so I have a duty and an obligation to live my life for him in every area of my life. So let's look at um, the qualities of a successful farmer. Because we do want success, right? I'm sure that um, Joe doesn't go out looking for crocodile eggs that are infertile. I believe they, they check them out, they hold them up. Is there a little croc in there or not? If I'm wrong, that's okay, Joe can correct that. But he doesn't go and look and say, oh man, this egg's infertile, there's nothing in it, I think I'll keep that one. The farmer doesn't go and get seed that's out of date and old and mouldy and, and, and disgusting and sow it in the ground because there's no life in it. And we want to be successful as farmers, don't we? Don't you want your Christian life to count for something? Even if you're not a Christian here, don't you just want your life to count for something? In the end, don't you want your life to count? So here we are, the qualities of a successful farmer. Number one, the hardworking farmer, which is in that verse that we read out. So I asked Linda that question. Is it hard work? Is it skill? And she said, well, it's both. But we want comfort, don't we? Above everything else so often. It's all about my comfort. You know, I don't want to commit too much. We're going to balance this out as we go along. And I was thinking about that word being overcommitted. Overcommitted. What does that really mean? And it was challenging me because I was thinking, you know, so often we hear that word, we don't want to overcommit. We don't want to do too much for God. We don't want to be too sold out because, you know, we'll be too busy and we can't balance everything. You know what life in Christ is? It's 100% I belong to you. Now, he will love us and he'll look after us. So as we listen to the Spirit, he's not going to put us into the wrong places. But as people, we have a tendency that, that we commit to everything and really commit to nothing. You cannot overcommit to your Christian life. Now, I'm not talking about doing everything. But we need to start to understand that commitment is to a cause, not necessarily to this process or that action. We need to be 100% sold out that, God, this life belongs to you and I'm going to live for you, whatever it is you ask me to do. It's a hard-working farmer that gets to eat some of that crop. There is no way that on Daniel's farm they're going to reap a harvest come summertime if they have not planted the seed. Proverbs talks about that lazy farmer lying in bed. Oh, it's, you know, it's too hot outside. It's too cold. Maybe there's a lion out there. 
I don't know what it is, but there's, you know, something, some reason why I just can't do it. I'm not going to be able to go and plant that seed today. But we must remember that every harvest depends entirely on the amount of seed that is sown and the growth that comes. No crop except for weeds seems to come by accident. There is hard work involved and sometimes, guess what, you're going to be tired. Guess what, sometimes you're going to be under pressure. Guess what, sometimes you're going to be exhausted even. But when you are working in the right way, in the right thing, and you hit that pillow at night and you're exhausted because your hard work is producing fruit and you have a reason for doing it, you feel really, really good. There's a big difference between tired and just plain old burnt out. Because being burnt out means that you do not have a cause that you can burn brightly enough for. The things that you do are not really what you are being designed to do. The passion that you have is not harnessed in the direction that it's meant to go. And you cannot let conditions drive your effort. Daniel was talking about you just sowing in hope sometimes. I want to put that seed in the ground. I don't know if it's going to rain or not. I don't know what's going to happen. But I do know this, if I don't get that seed out there, there's going to be nothing come summertime. I'm going to be at summer and I'm going to be starving and I'm going to be trying to get something from someone else. There's a parable that Jesus told in the Bible about the, the foolish virgins, virgins and the wise virgins at a, at a wedding feast. They're waiting for the bridegroom to come. And what they're meant to do is to trim their lamps, which means put oil in them, make sure they kept burning. The foolish ones ran out of oil before the bridegroom came. Why? Because they weren't prepared. They didn't take the effort to get the oil that they needed. And Christians, we need to make sure that we have the oil of the Holy Spirit filling us every single day. We need to make sure that we are not living a stale Christian life where there's no oil and no fire in our life because the lamp will go out. If you are not committed to that relationship with God, there will come a time when everything just seems too hard, where there's no life left in you, where you're just grinding through because there's no oil. There's no Holy Spirit filling your life. And we need to make sure that we make the effort even when we don't feel like it sometimes, when we know it's what God's wanting us to do. And you'll notice that in your life, don't you? There's a garden outside and and you don't feel like mowing the lawn. You don't feel like pulling out the weeds. You don't feel like whatever it is. In your workplace, there's things that you do. You don't feel like it. But it just has to get done. And even when you did it, when you didn't feel like it, the results are there and you can eat the fruit of it. Number two, you have to be focused. Just, in an, just as an athlete, as we talked about last week, you have to be focused if you want the harvest. You have to look to the end. A farmer doesn't plant the seed thinking that it's never going to grow. Joe doesn't pick a crocodile egg thinking that it's just going to remain an egg forever. He's looking at that little egg as a handbag. He's looking at it as leather boots. Man, that's a nice pair of shoes. <laughs> but the end has to be in mind. There has to be focus. 
Are you focused on living for Christ? And Jesus was talking in Luke, chapter 9, verse 62. He said, No one who puts their hand to the plough and looks back is fit for service in the kingdom of God. What's that saying? If you look back, you start to go crooked. If I'm walking towards somewhere and I'm not looking at the goal, whatever I'm ploughing is going to be crooked. Where's your focus at the moment? Am I focused on the kingdom of God? Am I focused on living for him? What am I focused on? Am I focused on becoming better at winning people to Christ? Am I focused on getting that word in my life because I'm feeling sick and, and, and I need to start to focus on what God says about healing? Am I focusing on prosperity of God flowing through my life? What is it that you need me to do, God, in order for the prosperity to come in my life? What about your kids? Am I focusing on getting the word of God into them so that they'll grow and they'll be trained in the way of the Lord? Am I letting them run wild? Am I letting them make their own decisions without any input from Christ in their life? What is the end goal? You start parenting your child to be an adult. You don't parent your child to be a child. What we're doing is training them up to be an adult. Someone who loves God, who is dedicated to the cause of God, so that generation after generation will follow after him. That we would see great-grandparents and grandparents and fathers and mothers and children and grandchildren and great-grandchildren all sitting in a congregation worshipping God because the focus is, yes, God, you are number one. End in mind. Looking forward, and you will not. Gain the benefits of the kingdom of God in your life if you allow yourself to be distracted and torn away into other things. I'm after wealth. I'm after happiness. I'm after whatever it is, this state of mind. It won't happen if you're not living for him. Number three, you have to learn to be patient. Patience is a necessary evil. It's not really an evil. It's a good <laughs> We think it's evil, don't we? Give me and give me now. I want. But it is so important that we understand the process. Is your child born and then an adult the next day? No. There's a process that takes place in our life and it's the same with the word of God. We often give up before we receive the harvest. We begin to plant. So we might plant the seed. We're waiting for the water. It gets watered, but then we don't take out the weeds. We don't look after it. We let the animals in. We don't build walls around it. And at the end, there's just no harvest. We might get one or two little bits of grain. If we don't continue in what we're doing. You might be here today and thinking, you know what? I haven't seen it yet. I still feel depressed. And speaking that word of God over my life been making the effort but i'm just still feeling that same way can i just tell you right now the word of god works you keep sowing that word into your life because when the promise comes it is going to be a well of life to you you're going to rejoice so greatly you are going to just sing so happily your heart is just going to be so free and you need to continually speak that word the seed into your life don't ever stop which goes on to the next one, be generous. It's such an obvious point. The more seed you sow, 
the more plants will grow. It's not even tricky, it's just obvious. And so as Christians, are you sowing seed into your life? God's seed into your life. 2 Corinthians 9, verse 6 and verse 10. Remember this, a farmer who plants only a few seeds will get a small crop, but the one who plants generously will get a generous crop. For God is the one who provides seed for the farmer and then bread to eat. In the same way, he'll provide and increase your resources and then produce a great harvest of generosity in you. Two things to think about here. Firstly, if you sow sparingly, you reap sparingly. If you sow generously, you reap generously. The second thing is that God loves to increase it in you. Why? Now, this is talking definitely about finances, this passage, but we'll put it into every context of our life. God is the one who provides seed for the farmer and then bread to eat. What's it talking about? It's pretty much the same as what we read before in Timothy. In the end, the farmer gets the first bit of the crop. What does seed become when it's crushed and baked? Bread, right? Some of our seed that we plant is to get a crop to sell or to give away, whatever it might be, but there's other seed that God wants us to enjoy. There's nothing wrong with enjoying the fruit of that as you are sowing the word of God, you should be enjoying the fruit of it. It's something that God wants to do, and God wants to increase you. You see, there's some that will say, no, he doesn't. Of course he does. Why? Because this, he will provide and increase your what? Resources. What area is that? My resource of the word, my resource of money, my resource of wisdom, whatever it might be. Why? Because it produces a great harvest of generosity in us. Can you give away what you don't have? You can't. And if you think about the seed principle, I will plant one seed and then I'll reap 60. I'll plant 60. I'll reap 360. I'll plant 360 and mathematicians, what do I get? (laughs) Lots and lots. There's an exponential increase in what I plant though, isn't it? As I sow, I also grow. The things in my life begin to reproduce. And you will notice if you make the decision that I'm going to actually invest in other people and I'm going to make sure that I'm ready to share the word of God, you will be amazed at how the Bible will come alive to you. If you think it's boring, it's probably because you're boring. That's all I can say. You haven't decided that the Word of God is going to take any effect in you, but as you plant it in your life and you're looking to reproduce with it, so you eat some of it, and the selfish Christian will eat all of it. I'm just going to eat, eat, eat the Word, and I'm going to grow and get fat and spiritually lazy, but the one who understands, they know they can eat, and they also have to sow And as you do it, you'll be amazed at the revelation that comes out of the Word of God because as you start preaching to someone, now I don't mean preaching as in, you know, forcing someone to do anything, but preaching as in the Word of God going out from your mouth, things just come to your mind. It's like the Holy Spirit awakens you out of the the storehouse of seed that's in you. This verse rises up and you're like, wow, man, I've got the perfect verse for that situation. I know exactly what God would want to do and you don't have to then go into the King James language 
and bring it in a way they cannot understand, but you can just say something simple. Hey, man, you've got a problem with anger. Do you know what? The Bible just says that, you know, if you, if you, if you talk quietly back and, and don't let them react against you, if you're kind to them, then it somehow stops them being angry because that's just what the Bible says. The Word of God rises up. The good news comes out of you. And it begins sown in righteousness from your life into those around you. Be generous. Next, we have to look at understanding seasons. There's seasons in everything. Isaiah 28, verse 23 and 24, then 26 and 29. Isaiah 28, listen to me. Listen and pay close attention. Does the farmer always plough and never sow? Is he forever cultivating the soil and never planting? The farmer knows just what to do, for God has given him understanding. The Lord of heaven's army is a wonderful teacher, and he gives the farmer great wisdom. As Linda was answering then, what's the difference, the sweat and the skill? She said it's both, totally, and that's what those verses are saying there. We need to understand there are seasons in our life. There's a season to plough. There's a season to sow. There's a season to grow and there's a season for harvest. And even in your life, your Christian life, you need to understand seasons. We talked about the athlete last week. If you think about the AFL, the rugby at the moment, they're in their off-season. Cricket are playing. But they have an off-season that they, that they recover. Their bodies get together the, they feel strong again. So while we're hard working, we have to understand this, that there are seasons. If we are forever putting out and never putting in, we are going to burn out. Next week I might just bring in a little diagram that we can have a look at in terms of that. But Jesus talked about it when he said, I'm the vine, you're the branches, and abiding in the vine and, and fruit and pruning and all that sort of stuff. You can't always produce fruit. The grapes, they have to be harvested, then it's cut back and, and pretty much to dead branches. There's a time when you have to just get your strength back from God. You have to take that time and say, this is a time to grow in strength. But we can't abide forever. We can't always stay in that Christian state of, of, I'm not producing fruit, but I'm just loving God, just loving God. My whole life, I'm just loving God, spending time with Him, because that is not fruitful Christianity. That's forever abiding. There's a time when we're pruned. When we look at our life and we go, you know what? This branch isn't producing any fruit. It's like, what am I doing? This part of my life just needs to go. Chop it off. Get rid of it. Because it's not fruitful. There's no point even having that branch on there. There's times when we're just growing and the Word of God is increasing in us. We're growing in skills and all that sort of stuff. And then there's time for fruit. Where we're starting to see, after all our effort and our, our rightly directed effort, there's fruit begins to come. Can I just release you from hard work that's your own work the labor that we are in is the labor of what faith it says labor to enter into the rest work hard to, to enter into the rest yes because what you're doing is growing in faith 
You're learning about God and that is where you're walking. That is the fight, the fight of what? Faith. Getting to know Christ, stepping out in faith and letting him grow. There's skill needed. You do need to hone your skills, guys. We don't know everything. And I believe that we are to be Holy Spirit-led. And I believe that the Holy Spirit is a teacher, but the Bible also says that there are those who teach us. So on one hand, we have, you don't need anyone to teach you because the Holy Spirit will show you all things, yes. But on the other hand, the Bible clearly says that we need to be taught the Word of God skillfully by people who, who are spending time in it that can explain it to us. So many Christians are just really slack in growing in knowledge i don't really know how to reach anyone for jesus i don't know how to talk to them about jesus have you read a book not have you gone to have you been listening to podcasts about how to talk to people about christ not have you been hanging around someone who you know knows how to talk to people about jesus not i just want to lead have you done any leadership training not have you been reading books by great Christian leaders? Nah. Have you been reading biographies about amazing Christian people? Nah. Holy Spirit's just going to show me. Yeah, he does. <laughs> but he activates what you know. If you're not sowing seed in, you're not getting any growth. And we cannot use our ignorance as an excuse as to why we're not doing anything for Jesus. We can't just make up this lie that I don't know how to do something, so therefore I'm not going to do it until God says, this is how you do it in some blinding flash of light that strikes me to the ground, just like the Apostle Paul. Do you understand that Paul was one of the most taught people in the Bible? He had gone through one of the highest schools in the land that you could do in terms of um, a Pharisee. He knew the law, he knew the Bible in and out. Do you understand that Moses was brought up in the courts of Pharaoh where he learnt amazing things? He was taught by the highest people in the land. He grew in skills and knowledge. Do you know that Jesus, it says, grew in knowledge and wisdom? Do you know that Daniel was in the courts with the most learned, wise people in that kingdom and he grow, grew and, and Jesus used him? God used him in an amazing way. Guys, it's time to shake off our slackness. It's time to stop making excuses about why we can't do things and start to put the word of God in. Start to sow into our lives. If you don't know how to do something, if you're not sure about something, get some effort. <laughs> do, do something. Do something to increase that thing inside of you. Because the harvest will only be as big as the amount of seed that's sown into your life. Sow in righteousness, sow in godliness, but remember this, that in the end it is God's harvest. We do need to understand we don't always get to do everything. Some of us are gifted in certain areas. Some are amazing at sowing. Some are amazing at weeding. Some are amazing at harvesting and and no doubt, different people do different things. 
but it is God who gets the increase, and that is who we are living for. 1 Corinthians chapter 3 says this, I planted the seeds in your heart, Apollos watered it, but it was God who made it grow. It's not important who does the planting, who, who does the watering. What's important is that God makes the seed to grow. The one who plants and the one who waters work together with the same purpose, and both will be rewarded for their own hard work. There's a couple of extra verses below that. I love hearing stories, the what if, I don't know what happened stories. Um, just a few that I can tell you right now. My dad used to have a tree worker. Didn't become a Christian here, but he got a phone call one day, he'd gone off to Perth, and he rang dad and said, hey, Ron, I've become a Christian. Ron didn't see the harvest here, but he planted a seed and he watered it. I was talking to someone else yesterday. They said exactly the same thing. This person that they were talking to at the time didn't seem to receive, didn't seem to know what the word was, but they called him and said, hey, now I'm a Christian. It's not about the glory of us in any way because it's about all working towards the same purpose. As a family, as a church, are we sold out to that purpose of the kingdom? Because there are some of us who are really good at planting seed, some of us who are really good at watering and growing people, some of us who are great at harvesting, but the point is you need to jump in where you are required and where God has placed you. Your part in the body is so important. So as a Christian, that second metaphor, the hard-working farmer gets the first of the crop. I just want to encourage you that it might sound hard, but farming is about planting and it's about being patient. Let that word grow in you. Let the spirit water. Because who makes the word to grow? God. We're responsible for throwing it out. But as the farmer sleeps... He goes to bed night and day. He doesn't know how the seeds grow, but he just know it does. And God wants that seed to grow in you so that you can reap an amazing harvest of love, an amazing harvest of holiness, an amazing harvest of souls for the kingdom. That's what God wants to use you for, guaranteed.